You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. The road to conception isn't always straight, and these days there's more than one way to create a new life. My next guest knew his path to fatherhood would be more complex than other men, and yet he knew what he wanted. Aaron Brunston has written about his experience in Designer Baby, and he's with me in the studio now. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Hello, Siobhan. How are you? I'm good. good. Thank Thank you. you. When did you realize you wanted to be a dad? Well, I tell you what, it was from a very young age, and from what I remembered, I was around seven years old, and I used to kind of pretend to be my father with my sister's little dollies. They were Barbie dolls, and I used to pretend I was their father, and, you know, i give them a bit of a discipline. (laughs) And fed them and, you know, and I just loved the whole thing. And my mom spent a lot of time looking after um, poor kids in the neighborhood. And they usually used to come over to our house when we were very young and um, just to seek refuge. And, you know, and um, so we always had kids around us. And sometimes they were really young, like the neighbor would, um, you know, we we, we grew up in a housing development board. They're kind of like project, but it was a government subsidy kind of um, apartment blocks for its residents. And uh, so we had lots of neighbors and they used to just drop the kids there for a while. And, you know, and we so we always grew up around kids and I always felt like I was the older brother, but I was kind of more like the daddy, you know. So, yeah, I love kids and kids has always been very important to me and to Jason. And um I meant to ask that, actually, yep. because in your book, you yep. wrote about how on your first date, yeah. <laughs> on your first date with Jason, you went to see a rather heavy movie. Very heavy. <laughs> Was that by design or did you just go, oh, no, this I is all, let's go see this? Well, neither of us knew it was about a Nazi concentration camp and it was about a a father and his son and how he loved his son that he would do anything. So he concocted this game with the kid. About, what was it uh, called again? Film? Life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. And life is so beautiful, you know. So it kind of was a message with the title and it was about a father and it was with this kid and he tried to keep this kid alive till the very end and he did and he... Um, and the prize was a huge tank for the little boy. And neither of us knew that that was about <laughs> Nazi Germany. And I'm being Jewish. I mean, it's you know, something that's very That's a very intense first very date. Intense. So the moral of the story is, well, we, I sat in the cinema from the beginning to the end and all I did was cry because I'm such, I love to cry. You know, it's that movie, I cry. I'm driven by emotions. And uh, so I started crying and... Um, and he just kept looking at me and thinking, on our first date, he is crying. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of, that broke the ice, really. And it was um, it was really just love at first sight. And it but continued. did you mention at that point, at that first date, that you would one day be a family together yes. with well, your own we did. child? Well, what happened was after the film, we went over and had coffee and we sat down and you know, kind of, you know, I was in awe because he has the most beautiful piercing blue eyes. So I kind of said, well, you know, it's now or never. I'm just going to drop the bombshell. So, and just see how it all transpires. It was very brave. I think (laughs) if it's going to be it, like I need to know now, you know. Um, So I kind of said that I've been very paternal and, you know, I I just, I want to be a father. 
and I want to find a partner in life that I can settle down with. So it's almost like a marriage proposal, but it kind of giving a bit of insight as to what I expect of you. Then I drop the bombshell. I say I want to be a father and I want to have a partner that can also be the father. And I wanted to uh, feel that oneness between me and my partner and by having this most beautiful child in the world. And he was... Um, he was very sweet about it. Like, you know, he smiled and he said, well, anything's possible. So, you know, <laughs> uh, but I mean. He must have really liked you. Because he, he must have. He, <laughs> look at you now. Anyone, if anyone said that on the first date and they weren't in love, You'd it was just going nowhere. Mile. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Run, run. <laughs> I would. <laughs> so do you think that um, knowing Jason now as you do, do you think that he also had that desire to be a father or was it his love for you that came first and then he came around to that idea. I think it was a bit of both. And I think that I kind of introduced the idea to him because we grew up in a time that you just wouldn't think of being a dad because it's just not normal. We're not the, we're not the traditional nuclear family, mom, dad, kid. And the idea of a homosexual or same-sex couple being a parents is kind of remote. It was kind of, kind of new at that time as well. But there was a lot of talk about it and people had done it and it was an amazing time. So I think that idea that, that is the impossible it may seem at that time now becomes a possible, but having that someone with you along that journey to make that possible was the key factor mm. in it. Because as you say, you were mentioning just then that it felt like it was impossible. Why did you decide at the time to go through surrogacy to have your family as opposed to something like adoption? Well, adoption was really difficult for a start. So I think at that time we... I mean, we didn't rule it out completely because we knew that that was also another route that we would take, but it would be a very long route. And I think things just progressed by that. I mean, you had to qualify by a certain age, a certain income. And I mean, we were young and I was 20 or 23 or whatever it is, 24. So I, I didn't think that if that would have happened, it would have been adoption and that was the route, then we would have taken it regardless it wouldn't have changed what the overall objective and overall dream was. You're listening to Kindling Conversation and I'm speaking with Aaron Brunston, who's the author of Designer Baby. We're talking about his road path, whatever you'd like to call it, to fatherhood. And I just have to remind everyone that he did say to his future partner that he wanted to have children on the first date and also they did go and see what is it again life is life beautiful. is beautiful <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I reckon like I said if you get through those two things you're a match made in heaven um, <laughs> having made that decision to go through surrogacy as you mentioned it is a, a very complicated in some ways a very complicated road because of the laws we have in Australia right, yeah. and then what happens overseas having a child is I think can be an emotional roller coaster oh, anyway completely oh Completely. Do you think that your ride was more extreme because there were so many obstacles and unknowns and things that were out of your hands that were actually logistical? Do you think that made it in some ways quite a difficult road? It was a very difficult road. I mean, it was emotionally driven. The key thing with us was that we just thought we had to keep going. We had to keep going. And there were so many times, there were so many roadblocks and there were so many things that just had to sort of kind of say, just stop, just stop. But we didn't. We just kept going for it. You know, we, we just felt that, you know, this was this is, was very important to us. We, ha we, are, we have been in a union now for about nearly 20 years. 
And obviously, we're still, we still were not allowed to be married. But the point of the matter was that we really felt that despite all the obstacles, all the blocks, there was a road there and we just had to keep at it. We were given a lot of help by a lot of really kind people who had done it. Although the, the, the whole message there was that we were always going to be fathers eventually and every time we started going down that route, something really something happened. Like, you know, Jason had cancer. Cancer really wiped out three years of our lives, really, and it was a long road to recovery. So all those kind of roadblocks as well. I mean, life roadblocks that not normal people, not everyday people, not people from different places suffer. And um, we just thought, well, let's just do this. And then after three years of going through cancer surgery and then chemotherapy, and once that was finished, then we thought, well, we just needed something really positive in our lives. And there could be nothing more positive than having someone to love and just be a, a family. You ended up having a surrogate mother in Thailand. Her name's Porn. But this all started to happen finally for you at a time when international surrogacy was in the headlines everywhere. Can you tell us about the story of baby Gammy and how that impacted on your experience? When we first decided to do it, we just sort of, we, we started off the process in India and we thought India was a surrogacy hub and everyone was actually going to India to do it. So we started off the process with India and then what happened was that India, and we were like about six months into it, planning and getting the right hospitals, the right doctors, the right surrogate. And then India decided that they would outlaw surrogacy to all same-sex couples Wow. So there was a ban on it, and we were kind of left dangling, not knowing where to go and what to do. And then in the process, we met a guy called Sam Everingham, who's the head of the surrogacy journeys in Australia. And he kind of put us into that route in going down the Thailand route. I was a little bit hesitant at first because I've heard some stories and I just thought it was a pattern that started to occur. And I was thinking, this is a pattern that is going. India is now outlawing and the next person's going to outlaw and then it's going to keep going. Because the truth of the matter is nobody really wants this. They all think it's something that what we're doing is actually not right. It's a morality issue for developed countries in Asia. We then uh, decided to go down the Thailand route. At that stage, we had not much except for that there were really good hospitals and Australians were actually going down that road. Then we had to find a donor, which was a, was quite challenging. I come from a kind of religious Jewish, I wouldn't say religious, but I would say semi-Orthodox Jewish family. It was a topic that we didn't discuss over dinner tables and stuff like that. So it was, it existed, but it was kind of taboo, the whole thing. I asked my sister for her eggs so that we could have a biological link to both Jason and I. And it was against what she wanted to do, and which I respected that because she's my sister and I understand that. And it's not something I want to sort of, you know, push it down your throat. So if it's a no, I understand that. So we were just kind of lucky. We were going to consider going into donor egg programs as well. And then one night I caught up with my cousin on a Friday Sabbath Shabbat dinner and I went over to her house and I was telling her all about it. And then at the end of the conversation, I don't know, just something came over me and said, this is your moment. Again, like the life is beautiful date. And this is your moment. Ask her and see what she says. So I asked her if she would like to be my donor mom. I had grown up with this girl, so she's my cousin, and I just adore her, and we're very, very close. So I asked her, and she immediately said yes. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, she said, yes, I would love to do it. I would love to be a more part of your life and be part of your family. And it was the most beautiful moment in my life. I would always cherish that moment. I would always cherish her because she's the world's greatest mother. She's kind and Roman just loves her. And, and I mean, we're not that traditional. I mean, we're quite a traditional family, you know. You have a daddy, you have a papa, you have a mama as well. And mama's always there. She's always there. She's always been there from day one. And then he's got three beautiful Uh, two beautiful brothers and a sister and everyone's really happy and it's changed the dynamics of our family it's changed who we really are as a family it's made us so much stronger and we've just gotten closer so he's just brought all of us together which mm. is so beautiful. I, you know, I completely forgot what my question was. I was so wrapped up in the story. <laughs> but I do remember now. Um, yes, Thailand. We, that is, which is the nice storm. that we've got the good stuff. Now yeah, we, we, we can get through stuff. the thing that was probably the hardest. Was, the was, hardest. Was that part of the hardest part of the surrogacy journey for you? It definitely was. I mean, I mean, we went to Thailand. We found a surrogate. We found one of the best doctors in Thailand who was educated in Australia, in Monash. And he was kind of the doctor everyone went to. He's one of the pioneers in that field as well. Anyway, so we went to him. Everything was going great. And we found a Rebecca, myself and Jason, all three of us flew to Thailand and we did all the things that we need to do, like the donor thing where you had to inject yourself every day and then Jason had to kind of deposit his bits and <laughs> and um, everything was going great. We found the most amazing surrogate and she was lovely and she was about five months pregnant. I was in London for work and Jason was in Sydney. He was going to meet me in a couple of days. It was about four o'clock in the morning. I was in London, of course, and I had a phone call from Jason and he was just screaming and crying and saying, I said, what, what, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I was like horrified. And he said, well, Thailand has outlawed surrogacy completely, which means that we're going to have no chance at this point in time to bring our baby home. Now, this is a biological child. This is our child. So it was probably the worst news I could ever heard. I mean, the whole baby gammy thing has just exploded. The uh, new junta government from Thailand, who has ever taken the country, they've said, well, we don't want this. We want to outlaw it completely. And it just kept going. It kept going and going. It was one after the other. It was like a series of unfortunate events that just took place within a period of like two and a half weeks. It was just awful because it was just not knowing, living in fear, waiting for phone calls. All the surrogate mothers went on MIA. Uh, our clinic closed down. Um, our doctor went on MIA. So it was just, it was turmoil. You were like in this really deep well and you were just trying so hard to get up and see the sun and you just couldn't do it. So I remember at the very end, it was such a dramatic thing to watch on TV because there were, like you say, there were the rolling reports, there were the investigations into surrogacy when people had done the wrong thing. And then as all of this was going on and one dramatic thing happened and then another and another. And the, as an observer in Australia, the the very high point of tension seemed to be when we'd been told that the families with children could leave and then there was a last-minute change of decision or something and there were parents with their children at the airport looking 
really, really distressed and just being told they couldn't leave. It felt like the government came in at the last minute and convinced the Thai government to let the parents go. But were you getting support from the Australian government in the lead up to that? Well, I think the Australian government in the lead up to it was, they were quite amazing. I mean, the Bangkok um, embassy in, in, in Bangkok, they were unreal. I mean, they made it so easy. Because, I mean, also of the understanding is that we were there, we had been there for over six weeks or seven weeks. We were getting tired with a new, and uh, you have a newborn, you know, and you know what it's like, you don't sleep. And, you know, so it was, um, it was hard in itself as well. And, you know, you're away from home, you don't have your family, you don't have your friends there, and you kept wishing, oh, I wish, wish we had done this in Australia. And you kind of felt a bit isolated. So by the end of it, just before we were going to leave, it kind of, we were like, almost like cabin fever. It's like, get me out of here, get me out of here. You know, I just need to go home with our family and we just need to do that. But the Australian embassy made it very, well, they were very helpful. They just, just did all they can. They, made, they try and make the process easier for us. And yeah, there were a lot of paperwork. There were a lot of paperwork to try and get him out. So you finally do get on that plane. Yes. <laughs> um, I kind of feel a bit sad that those first six weeks, as hard as they can be with a new baby, that's also the time you're in a bit of a love bubble. That's right. I feel a bit sad that you guys were under so much pressure and tension in that time. Oh, that's so sweet. But did you get to enjoy any of that time with Roman? Yes, we certainly did. I mean, he's the most joyous thing that's ever happened to us and we've just been waiting for him all our lives. So although that was happening, it was like he just, uh, it was just a matter of just looking at him and I'm smiling and we were smiling. We were singing nursery rhymes and songs and cuddling him and loving him and you know and it was it was the most beautiful time of our life it was just unbelievably beautiful so I think um, that in itself just weighed out all the things that were happening on the side well it's certainly not an easy path to parenthood but I'm glad that it was worthwhile worth it all Um, but before I let you go um, of course we can't leave without touching on the elephant in the room so to speak (laughs) and that is um, Australians are gearing up to vote yes or no on um, marriage equality. What are your thoughts on the postal survey? What would you say to people listening about that vote? First of all, I think in life we need to show empathy. We need to show that we are people. We are normal human beings. We are just another normal family. And it may seem quite absurd in some people's eyes, but at the end of the day, we have a very loving family. I mean, Roman is the most beautiful child. He's just happy and he's, um, yeah, I mean, he's just he's just the most joyous thing that could ever happen to any anybody. Any parent would feel that way. And, you know, your, your life changed completely because you start feeling that it is more, nothing else seems as important as him. So I want my child to be able to grow up in an environment that society doesn't feel that his parents are second-class citizens. And that we are not we are not just some crazy lunatic like the, you know like the, the Noel campaign is trying to make us out to be that we are our children are more likely to be depressed and obese and you know I mean all that is just propaganda really you know and I think the most important thing here is to look into the fact that every family is different. Some kids have one mom, some kids have one dad, some kids have two moms, and some kids have two dads, and some kids have a mom and a dad. So every 
family is different in every way. So, and I think it's to teach your kids to respect that dynamics because they exist and that's just life. We are just people. We are normal people. We are happy people that just, we do everything normal people, normal Australian citizens do. So why shouldn't we be left out? I mean, it's the most beautiful thing. It's, it's uh, for us, a marriage is the most beautiful thing. And I want my kid to be able to enjoy that, to know that his parents are married and that we love him very, very much. And I want Australians to rethink if they're going to vote no and think about the fact that we are just human beings and sometimes in life we have to show a bit of empathy to other people. So if you vote yes and Aaron and Jason get married, I think it would be a pretty stylish wedding. I think we could look forward to seeing that in a vote spread somewhere. We've set a date already. <laughs> I love your optimism. Well, there you go. You have to vote yes. The wedding plans are in preparation. Aaron, thank you so much for coming in thank to tell you, that Siobhan. story. Thank you so much. That's Aaron Brunston. He's the author of Designer Baby. And you can find his book at Booktopia. We'll pop links up on the website later this afternoon. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.